Welcome to the Should Have Backed It podcast. In a blockbuster day at Caulfield and Randwick, Very Elegant stole the show, holding out European raider Anthony Van Dyke to cement herself as Australia's best horse in the Caulfield Cup. Meanwhile in Sydney, after missing out on a start in last year's event, the new great flash, classique legend, put away some of the world's finest sprinters in the fourth running of the $15 million Everest. Plenty to discuss this week, and as always, helping me to do it will be the Herald Sun's number one tipster, Chris Finuccio. How good was yesterday, Big V? What are your highlights from the day? Hello, Phil. Great to be here again. There was some great racing yesterday, particularly the the two features, and I think that's got to be the highlight. Very elegant win, just outstanding. And again, we'll probably touch on it during the podcast, but it just shows that weight doesn't matter in racing a lot of the time, and very elegant. Proved that again. She did prove that, uh, lugging around 55 kilos, which I think was the most for a mare in some time. And, uh, yeah, it was an amazingly good run. I just re-watched it before the podcast, and, gee, she had her head up most of it. You know, she was wide. She had to come out really wide and over-raced and, and still managed to, to hold off Anthony Van Dyke and really put away the, the rest of the field. So, again, showing that it's just, I think, the best horse going around in Australia at the moment. Yeah, she didn't look very comfortable in the run, and her stablemate Finch wasn't giving her any favours, being three wide next to her. I was While I was watching the race, I was hoping that Damien Lane on Finch would move up another pair, so to give Very Elegant a bit of space where she can peel out and make her move and but Finch was just sticking around her and I'm just thinking what are you doing you know you know this is the stable mate surely I know you've got to ride your own race but when it comes to the stable mate you don't want to hamper you know the chances of the stable mate as well but her class came out and you know it was uh you know talking out of self-interest here I'm glad she she held on yeah look uh, likewise I actually had master of wine on on top in the race, but I did have very elegant, a, a close second there. And I had actually managed to get both of them in the uh, all in futures markets a couple of weeks ago at 15 to one. So I was very happy to see very elegant, get the job done. And oh, I was not, didn't look good when Anthony Van Dyke did come around her. I thought she might just get nabbed on the line, but we're certainly seeing with her racing that she's got that fighting spirit and can really hold on. I think we saw it first up when she was challenged by star of the seas and then still managed to come back and, and get the victory. So becoming a very reliable horse. I know she still doesn't quite do it all right in the run, but just her raw talent and, and will to win gets her over the line these days. Yeah, I just think that's how she races. It's When she was a three-year-old, okay, you'll probably try and get that out of her. But, I mean, now that she's a five-year-old, it's just her habit. And when you see her do that in the run, it, it probably shouldn't be a concern because you know that's what you're going to expect from her and she still performs. Just on Master of Wine, it was, you would have been surprised seeing him second in the run. Yeah, very much so. I was, I was quite surprised by that tactic. I... I thought from barrier six or seven where he came out of, you might find him two or three back, maybe one off the fence and just uh, cruise around. But, yeah, they he, they took it to almost the lead early and Dashing Willoughby ended up taking up that mantle. But, yeah, very surprised. Not a place I've seen it in races before, if, if anything, usually come from the back of the field. So I'm not sure if that was a declared tactic or whether the horse just jumped well and, and got itself into that position. But... I was a bit surprised, to be honest, yeah, Big V. And, you know, it wasn't the first gone, and it still ran on okay, but 
not the performance I was expecting from that horse. I think it is the latter because I think Craig Williams... I mean, the horse jumped well, and I think Craig was waiting for the horses on the inside of him to kick up and so he can slot behind them, but it didn't look like anyone wanted to take that initiative and lead. So because Master of Wine jumped so well, he was just stuck out there and had to lead um, with the international. So I just think just circumstances for for Master of Wine there, but a couple of surprising performances. Uh, you know, the chosen one was just out... was. Yeah, ran a real bottler to run third, and Prince of Aaron. Geez, what a what a run by him! Just yeah, he was he jumped well too, and he was three wide. And Jamie Carr could either just sit there three wide, but she decided to pull back, and he ended up drifting back to last in the field. And then he's come home strongly to run fourth. And geez, he's a, he's one to look out for for the Melbourne Cup. Mate, you've stolen the words out of my mouth. I actually had a Prince of Aaron clearly as one of my horses to follow moving forward. I think that's the first time since it's run in Australia that it hasn't finished in the top three. So it just uh, it just goes to another level here in Australia. And yeah, Jamie Carr didn't have many options out there from barrier 15. So she did have to take it back and she got on the back of Anthony Van Dyke. But it probably over the 2000 metres didn't quite have the sprint to stay with it. But Certainly, I think it ran the best last 400 of the uh, entire field and was never never on the track, really, for the whole run. Yeah. I think it ended up finishing almost on the outside uh, fence. It was so wide. So if it gets a, draws a gate in the cup and, and can find a much com- more comfortable run, it, it's definitely got to be up there in the order now and in people's thoughts. When they went past the winning post the first time, I think... Prince of Aaron was midfield or just worse of midfield, but three wide. And when that went around the bend, that first bend, he did so a bit off the track, but then she slowly pulled him back into the field and got him back to to last in the run. So, yeah, top effort. But there was a few disappointments. Toffee Tongue expected better from, in, from Barrier 4 and getting a good run. And Warning... A little bit disappointing as well. And I know that the he's probably a better Flemington horse. It might have been better for the Melbourne Cup, but yeah, I thought Warning was a little bit disappointing as well. And Chapada, I know Chapada's run ninth, but geez, it was a, a stay. It was a point at at the top of the straight where it looked like he might have you know caused a few surprises and maybe pushed for a top three, top four spot. So he didn't do too badly as well. That's pretty much where his level is at. Yeah, look, in these kind of races, there's always going to be, uh, I guess, a, a bunch of horses that don't quite perform as you expect. But it was one of the better, I guess, uh, in additions of the event over the last few years, I think, this time. And we have some really quality performers. And obviously, Anthony Van Dyke, with its form out of Europe as well, you know, it was a, it's a good addition of the cup. And, you know, with horses, mate, there's always an excuse for a run. You don't know how they've pulled up or, or how they were going into the race. So we might see that. Uh, unfold over the next few days with a few of these horses but yeah a great performance from very elegant as we've said but we might move on now to the Everest mate and the reason we're moving straight to the Everest is that your should have backed it this week is the new grey flash classic legend who absolutely burst through the pack there and put away that field quite comfortably in the end and uh disappointed you weren't on mate I've been talking up classic legend for the last few weeks my new favorite horse yeah I I jumped on Geetra. It was it was a choice between the two horses, Classic Legend and Geetra. And when you watch the race, I just think there's only one winner. 
Yeah, you run that race ten times. I think Classic Legend mm. wins it every time. And I know Geetra didn't help himself missing the start, but I just think that Geetra, um, Classic Legend, just had that better turn of foot and was just going to beat the horse no matter what. I expected Geetra to be um, ahead of him in the run, but he's jumped out slowly. But I just think it doesn't matter whether Classic Legend was in front of him or behind him in the run, he would have won no matter what. Yeah, and the money and the betting moves certainly showed that big V. I think ended up starting about $4, $4.20. Clear favourite in the end. I think Nature Strip went out to $7. You obviously had Geetra around that $6, $6.50 quote. Yeah. Um, and the money also came for a horse that I mentioned last week on the podcast, Bivouac, who during the week you could get $16, $17, but started on the day about 9 to one and did actually run up to that form. Actually, ran ba- basically the whole race with Geetra, uh, coming job, running over the line together. So another big performance for Mick coming back, and it it can put in those really high performing sort of races, I guess, from time to time in, in amongst a few uh, average performances as well. So, mate, for me, usually I'm being pretty good around the periphery races, and I, I miss out on the big races. But yesterday was the occasion where I couldn't back a winner, other than in the in the two big ones. So. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a different one for me, but I guess yeah. one of the talking points and something I'm interested in hearing from you is around the speed in the race. So we saw Eduardo absolutely fly in running. What did you make of that? Had a bit of Farnham, a Farnham feel to it to me. Yeah, there was um, some questioning in the stewards' report. At the time, I wasn't paying too much attention to what Eduardo and Nature Strip were doing because I had my eyes on Geetra and wondering why he was back in the field. Uh, yeah, they just went really fast. I mean, you mentioned it off air before. You know, when you're two, three lengths in front of Nature Strip, you must be going really fast. And I mean, I don't think jockeys should be suspended for you know making mistakes in a race. What we saw with Hugh Bowman on Farnham a couple of weeks ago, because um, you know why does he get a three week suspension and and Rachel King gets nothing on Eduardo? I think it. I mean, doesn't it's? I don't think it's fair, you know. And that's probably why the stewards didn't impose a suspension or anything in this instance because it probably would have got overturned anyway. Yeah, look, I don't think it it warrants a, uh, a suspension or or any reprimand. Um, I don't think Eduardo, no matter how you rode it in the race, was going to get near some of those horses. It's just not quite up to those horses. So if it you know if it's comfortable running out in the front, then then so be it. I mean, I think it actually makes the runs of horses like Nature Strip and Hawkbury on her a little bit better than they perhaps look on paper. Hawkbury uh, on her in particular was able to hold on and run a fifth off that hot speed. So um, you know there were some good runs in there, and even our old favourite Santa Ana Lane it really did storm home. I mean, it did sit last, so you'd expect that it could do that, but. Coming back, had a bit of uh, the the old Santa about it, I guess, um, second up. And I think um, with Rachel King, she did say to the stewards that she tried to restrain Eduardo. She realised she was going too fast, but just the, the horse just wouldn't slow down for her. But I just wanted to also make the point, oh, because I'm going so fast, I mean, horses like Santa and Elaine and Tefani, I think they just got too far back with that speed. Yeah. But, and Libertini, that's the, the other horse, Libertini from the Wide Barrier. Um, but I have been saying on this podcast that I didn't think there was a lot of depth to this Everest. And although Geetra only just 
got the third spot for me. I mean, you look at some of these options that are in the Everest and dollar for dollar. I mean, I was surprised that that was the replacement for Farnham. Eduardo, the, those two horses just were not up to Everest standard. And I thought Behemoth was uh, under the odds as well. I mean, yeah, very it's won so. two 1,400 metre races. I know it won two Group 1s, but they weren't very high-rating Group 1s. The opposition were quite poor by Group 1 standards. So for him to get backed into $9 after the barrier draw, he's drifted out to $11 on race day. I thought Behemoth was, you know, big unders, and he's, he's run third last in the end. Yeah, look, I only gave five horses a chance in the race when I really nutted down and did the form, yeah. and that was reflected in my quaddy, which was the first four over the line and nature strips. So, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. It, it definitely proved that there was a couple horses that were clearly better and, and ultimately one horse that was better than the lot. And I guess disappointingly, Big V, for us you know, Australian race fans, uh, word is that Classique Legend will now uh, go back to Hong Kong and, and race out of there from now on. And I know it's owned by a Hong Kong resident, so I guess, you know, there we now lost because I've really enjoyed watching it run over the last sort of year or so. Yeah, it is. It's disappointing to Australian racing, but because of COVID, we did see Classique Legend stay on for another season here or for another year here. Uh, what I'm reading is the owner wants to take him around the world, so running Dubai... Hong Kong, I think maybe England. So that might be easier to do from Hong Kong. So it'd be, it'd be great to see Classic Legend on the world stage. So hopefully he can get a couple of wins overseas and show that our sprinters down here are of a good standard. But talking about the Everest as well, the other point I wanted to touch on was the betting because I thought compared to the Caulfield Cup, I thought the the betting around the Everest was pretty interesting. I thought the Caulfield Cup, there wasn't, didn't seem to be a lot of activity around the top end. But with the Everest, we saw Classic Legend really stay firm in the market. Nature Strip drift out to $7. And it was surprising that after the barrier draw, Nature Strip came in from $6 to four sixty, four forty, and was favoured at the time. I mean, there was a reason why it was $6 pre-barrier draw, because there was a lot of concerns about him. You know, his barrier manners and whether he was going well at, to begin with. I just thought drawing barrier five, there was a bit of an overreaction that all of a sudden he was going to put it all together again because he's drawn a good barrier. Well, I think with Nature Strip, the horses in the race are really important. So once you had horses like Dollar for Dollar and Eduardo in the race, you knew it wasn't going to get a soft lead up front. And Nature Strip really does its best work when it can go out the front and, and bowl along, build up the pressure and then put away the field and once those horses were put in uh whether or not you thought they had a chance big v they were always going to be a thorn in the side of of nature strip and yeah i don't know understand the the reasoning for the i guess the the odds drift because of the barrier i don't think it was going to make much different either so that's quite an interesting one but we did see it really drift late i think it's that you could get seven or eight dollars at the jump towards the end so yeah interesting point there big v but we might move on now to uh my should have backed it so we're going back to Caulfield for for my should have backed it and that was wild planet uh in race eight the moonga stakes there and i know that was your uh one of your actually your best of the day at Caulfield, big v so i need to start following you in a bit because uh it actually started at a good price and, and won really well in the end it's actually got me twice recently it, it also went past Funstar a few starts back and and cost me the win but 
ultimately I couldn't really split it and Windstorm. Um, Windstorm, I think, was a bit of a betting drifter. You get 3.30 towards the jump. But I did stick with it because I might have been just out of blind loyalty more than anything because I have been with it all prep. But I really should have been looking at the odds discrepancy and at least had a two-bet strategy, which I think I could have done in that race and made some money out of it because... Uh, I was pretty disappointed to see it win in the end, even though uh, you know it was a good win and probably one I'll be following on. Yeah, I did make it my best bet in the form guide, and I was—I thought I might make myself look silly because everyone else has tipped Windstorm, and then I've made Wild Planet the best of the day there. <laughs> I just did that more so because of, from a price point of view, I thought it could win because it's coming out of the Epsom, and I don't didn't think it got the sixteen hundred meters, but the start before. It's won at 13 and then ran a close second to Probabil first up. So I thought, so 1,400 metres is maybe is probably his max. And I thought Windstorm was too short. I think might have opened 260 or something on the Wednesday. And you get some of these horses like a Windstorm that has been winning and winning at short prices and the bookies will just keep it short at acceptance time. And it was stepping up in grade. It does get back in its races, so I thought he was he might have been a risky proposition at that price. Whereas Wild Planet is five dollars five fifty second favourite, and I even thought I think I had Morrissey as well in my top three, top four. Geez, that's paid seventeen dollars. Geez, that's uh, well overs as well. When you look at that, you know he's run close to Windstorm and Buffalo River. Yeah, I just thought um, it looked like it might have been a good opportunity there. Yeah, well, I think the money came also for a horse that I think we should be following moving forward, which was 50 stars, and I think ended up running a pretty close-up third there. And, gee, when that horse gets out to 2,000 again, I think that's one to be loading up on Big V because it's really, you know, it's stepping through its uh, distances at the moment and ready to go when it gets to that. But yeah, I, I guess uh, with Morrissey, that was a, a return to good form for it, and it almost won the race. So uh, would have been a, a that would have been a should have backed it for me. I think if it had won at eighteen dollars, because we have been following that through the winter. I just didn't think it quite had the form or the class to sort of yeah. match it with some of these horses. But I was almost proven wrong there. Oh, so just one last point I wanted to make on that. You look at some of the other horses in the market. Best of days. I'm surprised that it's. Starting price is five dollars because that was coming out of a a poor form race, and the the inevitable was also in the market at seven dollars, and he was coming off a a poor run in the Gill Guy. He was beaten for lengths by Zatori. So you had two horses deep in the market that had a lot of question marks as well. Yeah, one of the things, and it might be a nice segue into your should have sacked it for the week, is that. I found at Caulfield yesterday, aside from the uh, perhaps even the Caulfield Cup, a lot of the races were really slowly run, in my opinion, and it did make it hard for backmarkers to really storm over the top. So Windstorm, for example, and I know pretty pretty black brazen in the in the final race as well. It just when they're walking like that, there's just no way that a, a backmarker can come and come and win the race. So I think Windstorm and a couple others throughout the day might be forgive runs really because there was no issue with the track you could you could certainly come from behind but just with the slowly run races it made it really hard for some of those back markers but that might be a nice segue big v into your should have sacked it which was perfect jewel in that uh race in race 10 which was ended up being taken out by madame rouge who finally got its win after a couple good runs prior 
Yeah, Perfect Jewel was very disappointing. And I, I was on it because it produced, you know, the sectionals in the start before. No excuses on Saturday. I mean, barrier two, William Pike put him in a good spot. They were going slow. Okay, maybe the tempo of the race maybe was against it. It probably didn't have that turn of foot compared to Madame Rouge. But these mares races, you might as well not betting them because they just throw a lot of weird results. You know, you put this same field next week and it'll be a different winner. And I was nearly going to make Madame Rouge my should have backed it, but decided I'll make Perfect Jewel the, the sack course. And Madame Rouge, I, I just, I've been spooking this horse on this podcast, but I've been wanting to see it back to 1,200. I thought maybe 1,400 is a bit of a stretch for her. She's got poor form on soft tracks and she's won here on a soft track. It's just crazy. Yeah, I think with Madame Rouge, I had it in the camp of one of those horses that is always running on well and, and catches the eye but never quite gets the job done and actually wins a race. So I'm always happy just to keep it out of my betting strategies, to be honest, because, you know, I, I just have it in that bracket of always finishing off looking great because it, it does settle back. But on this occasion, it's come up in the inside and, and split the field quite well off a soft speed as well. So, you know, all, all credit to the horse to be able to do that. Yeah. But... um. That might be a chance for me to move to my should have sacked at Big V. So I'll move over to back to Sydney in the Sydney Stakes. That was race six up there at Randwick. And Deprive really didn't perform as well as I was expecting. I was very keen on it in this race. I had it as just about my best across all tracks for the day. And I just thought it had a significant class edge on the field it was up against this time. And it just really hasn't come back, has it, in its last two preparations like it did previously and it had every chance in the race, you know, settles back as it does but didn't really run on and, gee, I'm not sure what to make of the horse moving forward. He's just one of those horses that you know he's going to be back in the run. I was, I nearly was going to have a, a bet on him and I, because you think third behind Libertini and Classique Legend, I know it was four lengths but, you know, they're two gun horses but I look at his starting price, and he was $31 into $26. And, I th- and then I looked at his form in his last prep, and, you know, he's getting beat by snits. He beat four lengths by Grey Worm. I just thought, you are $26 last start. Look, I might give you a miss this time around because I just – I think you're unders here. Yeah, its last prep was average, but – you know, sometimes there's excuses for that and you don't know what the the horse, yeah. the condition of the horse was in or, or what other external factors there might have been. But I thought based on its previous form and the way it did come back in its first up run that perhaps it would just destroy this field. And you know what? It didn't get near them, to be honest. So I probably will just be avoiding Deprive till I see something uh, a bit better from, from now on. But one horse I definitely won't be avoiding, Big V, is one of our horses to follow from a couple of weeks ago that... Absolutely. I probably was a run of the day, to be honest, up there in Sydney and the Kosciuszko with It's Me. Gee, it was in a in a spot you wouldn't want to be, Big V. I think if you were on it, you would have been very dirty where it was in running and you would have been complaining uh, <laughs> complaining in the run. But it did manage to get out and, and absolutely storm home and win. So that's a serious horse. Yeah, it was. And actually, It's Me was in the same spot in the run that Geetra was in in the Everest, both ridden by Jason Collett. But in this instance, It's Me had the rest of the field covered. And, uh, yeah, from where it was, 
brilliant win. I mean, I'll wait and see until I get the ratings on how well she performed because, look, I don't want to get carried away because I think I've been getting carried away with Russian Camelot. I think with this with this horse, it's me. And we just got to be remind ourselves that she's been beating country horses. And, you know, this was the, you know, the Kosciuszko, you know, the country, you know, it's like a country championships. So I just think... Let's wait and see which, when she starts running in some benchmark races, you know, where she can go. But she looks an exciting prospect. She's only had the four runs, a mare against the male horses as well. So, look, exciting times for the owners. But be interesting to see where she goes now and how she progresses through the grades. Yeah, no, it's a good point. You, you, we, we've probably seen that with some other horses, like even Alpha Aura yesterday at Caulfield, where, you know, it came out of benchmark racing and then, you know, up against the real top decent sprinters that can have been Group 1 competitive, didn't quite measure up. So we'll see how it me, It's Me goes. But just on the eye, mate, I don't have to look at sectionals, just on the eye, that was an impressive run. And the fact that it could get out of trouble as well is something that I really value in a horse. Yeah. Often horses just give up in those scenarios, but it pushed out you know, settled um, and then went straight past them. So, yep, exciting horse to keep an eye on. Now, Big V, every week we've been going to you and getting your top seeds for the big races. Now we can scratch the Caulfield Cup and Everest off the list. I think think in the end you had very elegant on top, even though you didn't mention it in the podcast last week, but I think maybe the rain just put you towards very elegant in in the end. Yeah, I think it was a combination of rain and barrier, although wide barriers don't matter too much in Caulfield Cup, but it was more so... The rain that came, I thought that brought her right into it. Yeah, so um, we will now move. Obviously, we've got the the hundredth running of the uh, Cox Plate this week, and you've been with Russian Camelot the entire time. But a little birdie tells me that you're about to jump off just at the last minute here. Yeah, I'm going to change. I was with Russian Camelot last podcast, but watching the replay, I have to go with Arcadia Queen. I know they went slowly last start when they they met. But when you watch her race, she was pulling. She wanted to go faster. She was over racing, and she still beat Russian Camelot pretty convincingly. I think if they went harder, I reckon she would have won by further. So she's the one I'm going to go with for the Cox Plate. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because a lot of the commentary has been Russian Camelot didn't wasn't suited by the the way the race panned out. You know, the slow speed, six horses, but. You're right, those same factors impacted Arcadia Queen's ability to win the race as well. So you could equally make the same case around Arcadia Queen. I'm sticking with Russian Camelot. I don't think there's a reason to jump off it. I think, you know, it hasn't quite reached that height that, you know, the spruik that it is. But at the end of the day, I think it's still got the ability to win this race. And I'm not disappointed by its loss. I think. It stuck on pretty well, and that wasn't its grand final, so I'm happy to overlook that last start and stick with Russian Camelot personally. But good to know that you've uh, you've switched gears there to Arcadia Queen, and and uh, certainly no one would argue with that. Uh, now, Big V, the Melbourne Cup. Now you had surprise baby. You went to Santiago, and unfortunately, Santiago during the week uh, has been, I guess, removed from the race. It won't be running, so you're, you're going to have to give us a new Melbourne Cup top seed. Yeah, I will, and um, I have to find out what happened to Santiago. The early reports on Saturday was that they're just going to give it a break. There was no mention of any injuries or any setback. It's just he was just going to 
go for a spell, which is pretty strange taking a horse to the other side of the world to give him a break. But you see, maybe he wasn't showing much in track work and they've pulled the pin. So yeah. I'm on the back foot a little bit here, so I'm not too sure. But I'll just go with a, a stab at the moment. I'll just pick Prince of Aaron. I thought that was a really good run in the Caulfield Cup. And he, you know, we know he performs in the Melbourne Cup as well. He gets the distance. You know, it's a race that suits him. Uh, you probably can't go wrong with him. Yeah, it's a safe bet at the moment, isn't it? You know it's going to be a consistent horse. It's got Jamie Carr on board, so you know you're going to get a good ride. And, yeah, a very eye-catching run there in the Caulfield Cup. So I'm, I think I'm almost with you at the moment with Prince of Aaron there. I think that was definitely a run you want to see going towards a Melbourne Cup. But, yeah, Santiago, I can only assume that it just hasn't settled well in Australia because you wouldn't bring it all the way over here uh, and then not run it unless something wasn't quite right. So, obviously, they're, they prefer, you know, they're valuable horses and would prefer to protect it rather than go out in a high-pressure 3,200-metre race and run, you know, 15th or 16th. So I guess that makes sense in that you've got to look after your horses, particularly uh, the, when they're as valuable as a horse like Santiago. But Big V, uh, we've got a couple other races this week. So obviously Big Cox Plate Day on Saturday. But a, a race that I know that you keep a keen eye on is the Manicato on the Friday night. So... Keen to get your thoughts around that race. I know Dirty Work is currently the favourite for that race at about the $6 mark. Uh, any any horses really standing out for you at the moment? Oh, not really. It's just, it's just a... With the Everest, it's really had an impact on the Manicato. I mean, this is not a vintage Group 1 field. I, I just think the Manicato now is just a Group 1 in name only because of the Everest. And, yeah... I just, it's a very open race. I won't be having a bet in it, that's for sure. I think there's a, you know, a lot of chances. Luck in runs going to play a big part. You know, Dirty Work was a, a big performance at Caulfield. So from that race, I don't think the opposition could beat him again because he had so much go against him and he found a way to win. You probably got to look elsewhere and, you know, maybe away game but we have we haven't seen a away game yet this prep so i'll be reluctant to back her on on trust a bit yeah i mean from a consistency perspective you've got bella bella and diamond effort they are very uh you know horses that are always up there and always performing well so but you're right it's hard to pick which one of those or which one will perform at that level we saw pippi first up do what pippi does first up and and win easily but can it do it second up we don't know so you've got a very even market at the moment and i think things like the barrier draw and who actually finally accepts as well will be key to who wins that race moving the everest to caulfield cup day has impacted the manicato because at least when it was on caulfield guineas day you could have horses back up and and running the manicato like in the first year of the everest with the um the hayes horse that ran second, so the name escapes me at the moment, ran in the Maticato. And then also, just going on the Sydney versus Melbourne angle, I read that Geetra is likely to run in the Yes, Yes, Yes stakes instead of the VRC sprint. I mean, it just doesn't sit well with me that you've got a race like that that's positioned there 
to stop horses going to Melbourne. It's just not right. I mean, the VRC Sprint is a Group 1 and you've got the connections of Geetra opting to stay in Sydney for a, a race that's... I don't think it has a, a group category to it, but they're running because if they do and win, they get a big bonus out of it. It just... I, I just... It doesn't sit right with me. It's a big bonus, but also I think if you're ever going to look for an excuse not to have to travel to Melbourne and you... <laughs> I know Geetra's got a big... Uh, big contingent of owners as well that like to get out to the races. I think they're probably just choosing to, to stay put and, and, and hang out in Sydney rather than come down to yeah. Melbourne and probably perhaps not even be allowed to come down to Melbourne in person. So, yeah, I can see that. And, no, your point's valid, but I guess competition and, and as many races as we can have is, is what they're at at the moment. But certainly has thrown a spanner in the traditional spring carnival for Melbourne. That's for sure, Big V. Now, um, I've already mentioned my two horses to follow, so I can just go over them quickly. And I think you've got one of them as well, which was Prince of Aaron there in the Caulfield Cup. Very eye-catching run and 50 stars who, who yeah, I think stepping up to around 2,000 will be a horse that you will be want to be on looking forward. But any other horses that caught your eye over the weekend, Big V? Yeah, I think Bivouac looks good for the VRC sprint. My doubts with him in the Everest was how he could handle a really high-pressure race because he didn't do that in the autumn, but he's run really well to finish second. So I think back down the straight at Flemington in a, a race where you're likely to get a, a build-up of speed, you know, that will suit him like he did in the new market. And I'm not going to jump off for Tuzi. He got beat by California Zimbal. That was a slowly run race with she's a thief missing the start, really dropped the the tempo of that race and I don't think she was able to quicken as well as she could against California Zimbal and I think even though she's got an okay record on a soft track I think she goes better on a dry track so stick with Fatuzzi yeah there's no reason to jump off based on that run Uh, I mean it was a good performance but any other day it might have won the race so yeah now there's a few to follow there Big V and I was interested to hear your early call there with Bivouac and I'm glad you're back on board with Bivouac I think as you say very well suited to that style of racing down the straight at uh, Flemington so we'll be one to keep an eye on but we might move to our uh, Twitter question our listener question for the week Big V so I was very happy to see I had a good question come through from uh, Matt L on on Twitter and Matt asked and I'm happy to take this but I'm also happy to to get your thoughts as well Big V is, is the sex of a horse a factor in racing well, what does it mean to you, Big V, when you're watching, watching the races and do you take any notice at all of the sex of the horse? I do. It depends on the type of race. So if you see, like, Barry Alligan in the Caulfield Cup, she's raced against the boys before and she's beaten them at weight for age. In that type of circumstance, it doesn't bother me. Two-year-olds doesn't matter too much and I think to an extent three-year-olds but when you get to the three-year-old stage, I mean, the, the male horses do start to develop as well. But you look at a race like the Golden Rose, and I was on a a filly a couple of years ago, Nikita, and fillies don't have a good record in the Golden Rose for some reason. But I still went with Nikita, and she got beat. But then I was on her in the Coolmore Stud Stakes, and she beat the boys that day. So... I think you've got to look at the type of race, the age as well. And there was, um, in the winter, there was a 
a horse that we backed, I mean, I backed it when it won. I can't remember the name. It was a Billy or a Mare. And then it stepped up to open company for the first time and it got beat. So I think that's where you've got to be wary as well when fillies and mares are racing in, you know, against their sex and then they step up to open age for the first time. Sometimes they can be vulnerable as well. Yeah, and no, that's an interesting point, Big Vien. I'm, I'm glad you went first because I was almost going to go with a short answer and that was no. I don't, I don't think it makes a massive factor. I mean, there are obviously, as we've discussed previously, uh, races that are either for you know, the males or the females, you know, the, for instance, the, uh, the Oaks and the Victoria Derbies are examples of that. But if you look at how they're weighted through things like the weight for age scale, I think uh, fillies and mares get two kilos less than the male horses. So as you've said before, two kilos is nothing when we're talking about horse racing. So really from a handicap perspective, there is no difference, I don't think, whether you're backing a male or female horses. I mean, we've been pretty lucky in recent times where we've seen some uh, some of the amazing horses that we've seen. Uh, your horses like Maccabi Diva, Winx, Black Caviar, Sunline, these are all, you know, mares running around and, and doing amazing things and destroying the boys uh, in those, you know, main races. But having said that, the, the counter-argument to that is the, the you know, the entires, the, um, the Colts can can go to start and there's often a lot more value for them being at start than running around against, uh, the, you know, in races. So we even saw, you know, Ole Kirk, for example, under after it won the Guineas, there's talk now that it will go to start and, you know, they're much more valuable there. So you don't probably see some of those potentially really strong male horses in those races because they're off, you know, uh, I guess at start and, and making money that way in, rather than sticking on. But I guess you do have the geldings that stick around and, yeah, t- for me, there's, there's really not much difference, to be honest. Um, but as you say, you can look at the, uh, the history of some of the races and, and you do see some, uh, I guess, uh, trends from that. Although it wasn't such the case with Very Elegant because I did mention at the start of the show and I said I was going to talk about it and I've completely slipped my mind, but yeah, Very Elegant, you know, Mayors hadn't won the Caulfield Cup with 55 or more well, since, I don't know, well, it was 60s or 70s or, you know, decades ago and she's won and also she's met master of wine three and a half kilos worse and dallasan four kilos worse from their last starts and she's beaten them again and she's beaten them by more so again i know this is off topic to the question but again it just shows that weights are just a, a small part of the form analysis there are other factors like the distance of the race, track conditions, and race shape. Sometimes the horses are just better, mate. End of the day, very yeah. elegant, just better oh, than they. Yeah. Like she's proven it time and time again. That the horses that we mentioned before, Maccabi Diva, she won the cup three years. She was just better. They kept on giving her more weight, and she was just better than them. So, uh, yeah, no, thanks for that listener question from from Matt there on Twitter, and um, keep them coming in because it's good to put B, Big V on the spot and see what he has to say. Now, I'm not sure whether I should do this or not, Big V. We've got our sports segment, but it was only last night that your beloved Brisbane Lions didn't quite get the job done in the prelim, disappointingly uh, for, for you, and I think probably for the AFL as well. They would have quite liked to see the Lions in the grand final there at the Gabba next week. But I did want to just touch on, as we foreshadowed last week, the grand final, which will the AFL grand final, that is, which will take place next Saturday. I guess I won't 
you know, rub it in too much, mate, because I know I was in that position last week, but any early thoughts about who you think might be able to win that particular contest? Yeah, I think I'll have to go with Richmond. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure why. I just think you, you look at them play and they just seem to make things happen. I mean, and if you don't take your opportunities against them, they'll punish you. And Port Adelaide had, you know, shots of goal that they missed, marks that they dropped. And if you do that against the Tigers, they'll make you pay for it. And it just seems like they know where their teammates are on the field. I saw Dustin Martin just throw a handball without looking into the corridor and there was a teammate there that was there to pick it up. They kick it inside 50 and they score a goal. So I think Geelong has to do a lot right to beat the Tigers. And and I just think the Cats just match up so much better against the Lions. I mean, Brisbane just never looked like winning that game and they just allowed Geelong too many uncontested marks and allowed them too many chains from defensive 50 to forward 50 and they just smashed them out of the centre clearances. They're not going to get that against Richmond. Well, not for the first time in our podcast, Lives Big V, but I'm actually going to have to disagree with you. I actually think Geelong will win and uh, a little bit of that to me, and I know that motivation should never be a factor in a grand final, but when you look at Geelong's list, who's on it and what it will mean for the people in that team, you look at players like Patrick Dangerfield, Gary Ablett in his last match, uh, Joel Selwood, Tom Hawkins. I just think they're going to have that edge to beat Geelong, uh, Richmond, who, you know, they've been to the, the top two times in the last three years. And I just get that real strong sense about Geelong, particularly in its last two matches, the way it put away the Pies and the Lions, that it's a team on a mission and uh, it will get the job done next Saturday. And, with that, Big V, from a gambling perspective, what I thought I'd do is throw together uh, a little same-game multi and a couple of first goal suggestions. So I'll get your thoughts on that. So my same-game multi, based on that, is that Geelong 1-39 to into Gary Rowan as an anytime goal scorer and Mitch Duncan to have 20 disposals will get you $6.50, which I think is not a bad little bet. Uh, I don't think the game will be a blowout, so I think the as long as you pick the winner there, you, you should be all right. But... What I've also learnt with same-game multis recently, Big V, is that you really want to stick with the te- one team. There's no point in having Geelong 1-39, to Jack Rewalt to kick three goals because those two events are probably unlikely to occur at the same time. So that's my same-game multi. What are your thoughts on that, Big V? It seems like a, a decent option. I think we're getting low-scoring finals, so 1-39 to is a good option. So... And then maybe even consider an under and over line because we have been getting those low scores as well. Yeah, the under line was 118 points. I couldn't quite work out how to to weave that in because I think that's a really well-positioned line. What I did, though, think, though, is that first goal is often something fun that a lot of people like to have a small bet on. And the ones for me that stood out were the obvious, Tom Hawkins, $8.50. I think I don't have to be telling you to put that one on. But the interesting one I saw was Jason Castagna at $20. I reckon that's a a great little first goal bet. I know that he had the first shot in last year's grand final because I was on him last year as well at about that price, and he he did actually miss it, and I think he ended up kicking five points for the match. But he's always around the mark, and, uh, yeah, I think at $20, that's not a bad first goal goal scorer. I know that a member of our punters club had Patrick Dangerfield to kick a goal, I think he might be a risky proposition to kick a goal, even though he plays a lot forward. Uh, against the Lions, he was a, he 
did more of the team things and, you know, provided for his teammates. But I think maybe someone like a Gary Rowan or even um, Gieran Myers could be good options for to be an anytime goal kicker. I know Myers butchered the ball a couple of times kicking for goal, but at least he had two or three opportunities as well, and and Gary Rowan as well. And I, I'm, I hope you are right, because I, I'd like to see Geelong win, and maybe even backing Geelong at a plus nine and a half line you know, might be the way to go as well. Yeah, there's certainly, certainly uh, a lot of options for you in those same-game multis. I even saw... Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Gary Ryan because he is in the one that I've outlined. But I saw that even Jason Castagna, for example, is $1.91 just to kick a goal in the match. So there's plenty of value to be had. And uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of different iterations as we go. And sometimes you don't know till uh, the teams are in, etc., to how to sort of play those. But that's my early thoughts Anyway, Big V, that's probably enough. We had a jam-packed show there with a lot to cover, and the same will be next week because we've got, you know, the Manicato and Cox Plate meetings into the AFL Grand Final, and we've also, of course, got the NRL Grand Final, which will see uh, the Melbourne Storm and Penrith Panthers take on each other on the Sunday. So plenty to discuss and dissect as we move forward. And also Lockie Neal's uh, Brownlow tonight, mate. Yes, it's, uh, we might see a Lions victory tonight at the Brownlow. <laughs> well, let's, we'll see how that goes, and he's a, certainly a short price favourite for that. And I know a lot of punters will be on him. But that's all we've got time for for this week, uh, Should Have Backed It podcast. As I said, a lot to get through. It's an exciting part of the year when it comes to uh, sports and racing. So uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, do get in touch with us like Matt did this week on the at Should Have Backed It Twitter handle. And as always, good luck on the punt.